Welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Here's your host, Peter Steinfeld. Welcome back, everyone. Today's episode is the second part of our two-part series on extreme heat. Many of you are familiar with OSHA's new National Emphasis Program designed to protect employees from heat-related hazards and illnesses. I receive questions about it all the time, so I wanted to bring an expert to the show to address some of those questions and concerns. Courtney Malveaux is the co-leader of the Workplace Safety and Health Practice Group at Jackson Lewis. He advises and represents employers in a variety of employment law matters, particularly in OSHA citations. Previously, he served as commissioner for Virginia's Department of Labor and held the title of Assistant Attorney General and Deputy Counsel in Virginia. He talks about how to understand and comply with the National Emphasis Program so organizations can better protect their employees from heat-related stress and illness. Let's listen in. Courtney, what's the genesis of OSHA's new National Emphasis Program, and why did they launch it now? Well, Peter, heat has been the bane of many workplaces and for OSHA for decades. And so ever since OSHA got its start, uh, heat obviously has been with us. Now, climate change is causing rising temperatures, including more exacerbated heat events and other weather events. And so that's a big part of it. Another big part of it is that we've had a change of administration. So it's being very attentive to what workers are most concerned about. And I was at a conference in which the head OSHA, the Assistant Secretary of Labor, uh, Doug Parker, and all the top brass of OSHA were there. And we had a great opportunity to have a lot of one-on-one conversations and hear from them. And they kept repeating the mantra of the vulnerable worker. That has just been the big overarching theme for OSHA. And so they're really focused on workers who are exposed to hazards lower paid workers, blue collar workers, minority workers, female workers, immigrant workers, migrant workers, anyone who has a tendency to be exposed to these types of hazards even more. And so that's really been the focus and the emphasis of the administration right now. Can you give us a high level overview of the program and its goals? Yes. So now we have in the decades of the, we've had OSHA with us for about 50 years OSHA has been using what's called the general duty clause. And so that's the basic statutory provision. It's beyond those books and books of standards that we've come to know and love from OSHA. And so the general duty clause provides, look, even if there's something that doesn't fall under one of these hundreds of standards, employers have a general duty to provide work in a place of work that is free of recognized hazards. Now, heat is a recognized hazard by OSHA. And so it's been using the general duty clause traditionally. It is also working on a permanent standard with more specifics as to what employers have to do. But in the meantime, OSHA has come out with a national emphasis program. It's a three-year program in which OSHA is devoting big part of its resources to send its inspectors into the field, into workplaces, showing up and ensuring that employees who might be exposed to heat illness are being protected. And it's not just people who work outside, it's people who work inside as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. So OSHA identified 70, 70, 70 industries that it is targeting for heat exposure. And so we all think of roofers, we all think of people in construction, we think of people out there in the heat in June, July, August. 
but it is not only the outdoor workers, but also indoor workplaces. And so think about warehouses, think about manufacturing sites, think about even retail. I had a bakery that got shut down for several months because its HVAC system couldn't keep up with all the sun, the radiation coming in through the windows and any place where they have heating processes on the inside that can generate heat and also where employees are exerting themselves. And so if you have people who are inside and and the temperatures are getting up to around or higher than 80 degrees, and they're working hard and exerting, physically exerting themselves, then they can really be exposed to heat illness. And, you know, you also have to take a look at a lot of these other factors that are exposing them. So it's not only heat generation, but also what kind of clothing are they wearing? Are they wearing breathable clothing? Are they wearing PPE? They may trap in heat. So all those factors, any of those factors are present uh, in indoor workplaces as well as outdoor. And among the 70 industries that are listed, There are quite a few that are very surprising. So even office environments like yours, they said people who uh, work in an office or people who work in healthcare or home-based care, you name it. There are a whole lot of industries that are on OSHA's radar that weren't on ours. And per the standards, it's not like people can't work if the temperature gets hot. It just means that you have to take the right precautions and give people more breaks and do other things to accommodate that higher heat. Is that right? Right, exactly. So OSHA is not saying stop work, not necessarily. Now, look, if you're in an extreme situation, and especially if you have people who are showing signs of heat illness, then absolutely you need to at least stop those workers who may be exhibiting those signs and take care of them. So definitely. But no, we're not talking about shutting down workplaces altogether in most circumstances. No, not at all. In fact, the preventive steps that we can take to safeguard our workers it's going to take us a long way to keep keeping things running. So now the mantra for decades has been water, rest, shade, water, rest, shade. Great. It's getting more complicated because the science is catching up. And now we're learning more and more about heat exposure. And so it's not just water, rest, shade, but also we have to take into account, okay, how acclimatized are you? Are, have you been in the heat and are more used to it? Or did you travel in from somewhere else? Or have you been on break for a few weeks? Uh, We have to look at acclimatization. We have to look at, you know, if someone is on medications that may cause them to be less hydrated, maybe they consumed alcohol. That's something that employees are going to have to kind of be more upfront about in terms of their self-care. And we're going to also have to take a look at, you know, the number of different factors. So if the weather service has a heat advisory day or heat warning day, I mean, that's your clearest and first signal that you really, okay, today's the day we really need to kind of watch this and check the thermometer, but also check all the humidity and airflow and all those other factors that come into place. So yeah, if you do undertake the preventive steps, then no, we're not talking about shutting everything down. But we are talking about if we need to take those steps and slow down a little bit, it'll keep us working and keep us going. Yeah, it's just all about setting up your people for success. Absolutely. And your business. Yes. Ultimately, it's good for business. That's exactly right. Right. (laughs) Has this new program rolled out and can organizations already receive OSHA citations for not complying with the new heat standards? It has rolled out and the investigators have rolled out and the citations are rolling out. It is happening. It is well underway. And I got to tell you, so Peter, one thing about this is that this was announced by the Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, and Vice President Kamala Harris. And OSHA never gets that kind of attention. The only other time that 
you know, when President Biden announced the standard on COVID, I mean, that, okay, that got more attention. But OSHA usually, it's usually an OSHA press release that it changed to the website. This was announced by them. And so when they did, they emphasized this was in highlight, triple highlight. This is super important right now. This is happening. We mean it. And so they sent the investigators out into the field. And you know what? It's not just the states and the locations we thought of. I mean, we just got a heat uh, complaint to OSHA in Alaska. What? I know. <laughs> That's the first for <laughs> me. But, you know, crazy times and the climate's doing some crazy things right now. At this time last year, there was a heat wave that hit the Pacific Northwest and Northwestern states. And there were several dozen fatalities. It was horrible. And, you know, yeah, the heat was up. But I suspect that you had locations that weren't used to having air conditioning or air conditioners that weren't keeping pace and workers who were not acclimatized at all to what they were dealing with. And when that heat wave hit, boy, it hit hard. So yeah, this is this is hitting in some interesting ways. And OSHA has responded with all seriousness about how climate is changing and how it's impacting workers. Well, because of all this emphasis, has there been a lot of confusion from your clients surrounding the program? And what type of guidance do you provide them? Tons of confusion because everybody has been stuck in that 50-year-old mantra, water, rest, shade. Well, it's, we know a lot more about this. So, and OSHA doesn't have a standard, but we do know what OSHA is recommending. When OSHA recommends something and says, we're rolling out inspectors and we're using general duty clause, that recommendation is not quite the uh, recommendation anymore. It's becoming kind of mandatory because they will cite you. Now, I will tell you this, and I come from an enforcement background. Before I represented employers, I actually signed citations. And so OSHA, one of the first things they do in an investigation, I've been on the investigations, I know. And they ask for not only the 300 logs, the injury and illness reports, but they also are going to ask for your written health illness plan. And if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. So, and, and I like to use the written plan as a Christmas tree and we hang the ornaments around it, all the elements. So training of supervisors to recognize and prevent heat illness and symptoms and how to respond if someone does show them. Training of employees in how to, you know, look out for yourself for any signs and how to prevent any type of exposures, especially if they have, again, you know, medication or alcohol consumption or personal medical issue, hypertension, obesity, whatever it is, and kind of, you know, look out for themselves, uh, including that, including in there, you know, okay, this is the plan and how we're going to communicate to everybody on a heat advisory day. And these are the specific steps that they're going to take that day. And here's the rest break schedule. And here's the climatization schedule in which people ease their way into the workplace if they're not acclimatized. And so putting all those things in that written program is going to set them up for success. And if OSHA knocks, they can give them a copy of the plan and say, here, we have it in writing. If OSHA does knock, are there other things that you can do to make that interaction a lot easier? We could probably go on for hours about this, but what are the top two or three things <laughs> you could do? Yeah, I will say, okay, written plan. Yeah. I will say training. And here's the one that everybody gets caught up on. Everybody who has the most perfect plans and writing and everything and their nice, neat notebooks and up on the shelf. Enforcement. So that if OSHA knocks, I got to tell you what impresses OSHA, what impressed me when we showed up was not only your plan and not only the training which has been done and that employees understand 
in those interviews with the ocean specter, but also disciplinary actions. Mm. The disciplinary actions is where, look, you, your supervisors can't be sweethearts. I'm sorry. They have to actually discipline and document that they've disciplined employees if they just don't get it and they won't follow what you're requiring. You're an employer. And so it's it's not the same as being someone's buddy. And so if you have to, you know, you want to reinforce the messaging, you want to remind people, you want to be nice about it. But at some point, if someone's not getting it, guess what? It's either their way or yours and their way is going to get you in trouble. So if you have to, even if it's an oral warning, document that you did it so that if OSHA shows up, you say, I have a policy, I have training, I've done it all. And you say, yeah, but are you enforcing it? And you say, yeah, here are five write-ups from last month of employees who didn't follow our policy. We're enforcing this. Oh, that's fantastic advice. I had Paul Yura from the National Weather Service on the show last week to speak about the weather-related aspects of extreme heat. And I asked him a question that I really wanted to hear your thoughts on as well. Is there anything that employees can do to better protect themselves from heat-related stress or illness in the workplace? What can they do themselves? For themselves? Well, okay. Know the symptoms. If it's dizziness or headache or sweating, or if you start sweating and stopped, that's pretty bad. You know, if you're not feeling well, you're feeling ill, nausea, all those things, then recognizing those things before it turns worse, you know, do that. And they're the basics, hydrating before you need to hydrate and also expressing, engaging with your employer. I mean, good employers want to engage with their employees and have a communication about you know, what their uh, hazards are and what they're experiencing. So, you know, voicing that to your employer, because, you know, if they don't feel like they can talk to their employer about what they're experiencing, look, I need more breaks. I need access to, to drinkable water. You know, can we talk about my hours? Is there something feasible we can do about the, you know, the hours and midday and the heat, you know, things like that. So, because, you know, if employees feel empowered to come and talk to the employer in these ways, and the employer is at least stopping and thinking, okay, what are ways we can kind of work with them without, you don't have to do everything. You're still the employer. You still have, you're responsible for your, your workplace. But, um, you know, being responsible for those things really helps because, you know, if they're not coming to you, they're going to go to OSHA. And who wants OSHA at your door? <laughs> exactly. No, that's right. 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 So that employee engagement, I mean, it's, it's a cultural thing and welcoming concerns about hazards and addressing them with the employee. It's always the right way to go. I think what you just said there hits it right on the spot. It's cultural because it goes both ways. The organization or the management doesn't want to say anything sometimes, but then the worker doesn't. They feel embarrassed to say something about it, or they worry about what the employer is going to say or do. So I think it's so important to your point to make sure that the culture is essentially enforcing that it's okay to raise your hand and say, I'm not okay. Sure. And, you know, the training is a great opportunity to make clear that the communications go two ways. I mean, we have a tendency to do death by PowerPoint with each other in trainings. But, you know, if you can find a way to actually solicit and engage them in, in communicating back and forth, and if they're not English speakers, then making sure that you're communicating in a language they understand and maybe getting indication from them, you know, how, what do you understand that I'm saying? Because you know what happens during the OSHA inspection? And I've been on them. We would get in there, we'd pull employees, we'd go into a conference room, we'd 
pull the door shut and the managers on the other side of the door, they're not in the room. And whatever that employee tells me about what they remember from their training, what are work conditions like? Are people being provided water? Are they being provided breaks? Is there that communication? Are they looking out for symptoms? All those things I talked about, they're going to ask about to the employee. And you will not be in the room when they have that conversation. And what OSHA hears from those employees, they tend to believe. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great advice for people to know that if you get involved in that, that's probably what's going to happen. So you better train to it. Right. Proactive. Proactive works. You know, look, people stress about this stuff in the agency and they say, oh my gosh, they're going to come in and cite me. It's going to be horrible. And it's going to, and I get it. But, you know, if you take a lot of these steps, you can't necessarily stop people from complaining to OSHA. It's their right. But you know what? You want them telling a good story about what you do. You want a good story in your documents. You want a good story in your practices. You want a good story in what employees are saying about you behind closed doors. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any organizations you're currently working with that are responding really well to the National Emphasis Program? Organizations, I mean, those that are really involved in trying to promote, you know, the safety professionals and the the manufacturing organizations, the construction organizations, they're all really doing a great job of pushing out the, you know, the health, the industrial health professionals. They're all doing a great job really kind of pushing that messaging out. And that's good. And then to the extent that they're pushing out materials, I know we're putting together a template with Jackson Lewis uh, in terms of a plan that you can use that is adaptable to the new requirements and adaptable to both indoor and outdoor environments. So, you know, we're really trying to put that out there and a lot of the professional organizations are doing so as well. So looking to folks in the industry, looking to your attorneys, work in OSHA in the sphere, there can be great resources for you to get through this NEP. Well, you definitely have an impressive background in legislative and regulatory matters. So is there anything else you've learned over the years that could help our listeners make heads or tails of the new heat standard or OSHA compliance in general? OSHA is not about perfection. It's about continual self-improvement and always trying to work toward becoming safe uh, and healthy. And so if you're engaged in that and you're engaged with your employees and they're telling a good story about you behind closed doors, it'll probably be a much better day with OSHA. It's almost like online reviews. Everyone's looking for five stars, but you don't have to go for five. If you can be somewhere around 3.8 to 4.2, that's probably way more believable. So just make sure your people are giving good reviews, right? (laughs) Right, right. Absolutely. So, you know, I got to tell you, there are times when I knew that you were getting complaints from employees and they're mad about their paycheck or they're mad about a bargain agreement that's not going the way they want or whatever, you know, and you know that people are complaining to OSHA because they're mad about something else. They can tell. I always knew. I mean, I think I knew a lot of the time when someone is trying to use the agency's leverage against the employer. That happens. But, and you know, OSHA does have to show up and do an inspection in response to complaints, whether they believe it or not. But, you know, if your reputation... I got to tell you, that's the thing that is not in the standards and it's not the law. Your reputation with OSHA is important. And so if you don't know someone inside the agency, you can call and ask questions and run things by, get that connection now. And so it's not just about knowing the standards. It's not just about knowing the law. It's about knowing who you're communicating with. And if they know you and they know your reputation, say, you know what? That company there, they're doing a good job. They're on it. They're not always perfect, but you know what? We're going to get behind them then you'll, you'll have a better result if OSHA shows up. So do you recommend for organizations to reach out to their local OSHA person uh, proactively just to establish that relationship? 
Absolutely. And, you know, I can't tell you how many people have their lawyers or others say, oh, no, don't call OSHA. You know, they're going to come show up and they're going to wreck. No, you want to hear from employers before bad things happen. And they want to be engaged and they want to know what's happening at your work site, not just to punish you and cite you, but also if you want to say, hey, what are some best practices being done in this scenario? My HVAC system can't keep up with. And they want to offer you some helpful solutions. So there's the official compliance assistance programs like consultation. But you know what? There's also just knowing somebody you can call. And so I know when I was in the room and we were deciding what to do with citation, I know it's not in the standards of the law, you know, what kind of company they are, but it came up in discussions. And if people in the room kind of knew what kind of company they're dealing with and they have a strong reputation, they know uh, they've been talking to this person through this issue and then they get an employee complaint about it, you're going to have a much better conversation with the agency if they know who you are. Yeah, it seems like their directive is not just employee safety, which is incredibly important, but it's also keeping America productive, as productive as possible. So they're on both sides. They're on the management side and the employee side. Sure, absolutely. So OSHA rarely shuts down a business. That's not what they, legally, they almost, it's rare legally that they can do so. And they don't want to, they really don't. But they do want to make sure that when they turn their back and go somewhere else, that you're still doing the right thing and trying to look out for your employees. Without a doubt. Well, Courtney, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for breaking down OSHA's national emphasis program for us. I learned a lot and I know the listeners did as well. Glad to help uh, anytime. If anyone has additional questions or wants to employ your services, how can they find you out there? So I'm at Jackson Lewis Law Firm. And so you can go to the jacksonlewis.com website. I'm also on LinkedIn. Courtney spelled C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y. Last name is Malvo, M-A-L-V-E-A-U-X. Email is Courtney.Malvo at JacksonLewis.com. Perfect. Thanks again to Courtney and all of you for joining us on the Employee Safety Podcast for our special series on extreme heat. We'd appreciate you giving us a quick rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can also subscribe to the show at Alert Media's website or follow it on your favorite podcast player. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.